0: Hello, and welcome to Tech, the evident, non-destructive testing podcast. My name is Emily Pédoquin, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. This podcast is all about NDT and the incredible people that work into our industry. I've been in this industry for just over a decade now, and I'm still amazed by the incredible people that I get to work with and how tightly this community is connected. On this show, I have the chance to welcome experts from the field to chat about everything and anything from challenging applications to new trends and even tips and tricks on how to improve your NDT game. I hope you'll enjoy the unique insight that our guests are sharing with us and that it will inspire others to also want to help in making this world a safer place. On today's show, I had the pleasure to discuss with John Perizzo. John is a quality insurance specialist that started his career as a welder for the US Marine Corps. His inspection experience spans multiple industries that allowed him to travel the world and be involved in a lot of different projects. John has over 20 years of experience in welding inspection and industrial coating inspection for bridges, pressure vessels, hydraulics, military and piping industries, but also, thankfully, as an NDT teacher, where he got to share his expertise with the new NDT recruits. John volunteers his time serving on several national committees, including ASNT, AWS, ASTM, and NACE. He is a NDT passionate, and I think his stories are going to help you understand or relate to what NDT can be about. So without further ado, here's John Perezau. Hi, John, thank you uh, for being on the show. Welcome and thanks for taking the time to be here.
1: Well, thank you, Emily, I really appreciate you asking me to uh, partake in this podcast. It's a really awesome thing to do.
0: Yeah, it was a, a nomination from our friend uh, Brent, so who was on the previous podcast. And um, so we, he mentioned that uh, maybe we should talk. And uh, the more well, we, we had a chance to uh, catch up a little bit, of course, before the show. And, and I agree. I'm glad he uh, gave your name.
1: <laughs> That's outstanding. Uh, Brent's a wonderful technician, and he's going to make an awesome level three in the near future here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's been representing very well thus far, especially as a face of uh, ASNT and so on. So so but um, to uh, to focus on you for today, uh, as you may know, my first question uh, on the show is, is always, how did you find out? How did you stumble across NDT and made it your career?
1: Well, I started out in my career as a welder in the Marine Corps and okay. as a welder in the marine corps we we had a quality control system that was separate from our unit and it was always interesting to me when they would come in and they would accept or reject welds and they were doing non-destructive testing at the time and i didn't know what that was i just knew they came in and they did certain tests uh, but it always made me curious as to why some of our welds were acceptable and some were rejectable and we didn't really get a clear answer for it um, so when I got out of the Marine Corps, I attended the College of Oceaneering and my initial purpose for attending the College of Oceaneering wasn't to get into NDT, but was to get into commercial diving and underwater mm-hmm. welding. I see, okay. Yeah, and when I got to the school, after I enrolled and I started classes, I realized that they had an NDT program. And I recognized you know, some of the, the test methods that they were doing from my time in the Corps and I realized, you know, hey, I didn't know that you could kind of just get into that. I thought it was something that, <laughs> you know, you had to have 20 years as a welder or something to that mm-hmm. effect uh, before you could get into quality control and into the inspection side of the house. So when I realized that, no, that's something that you can get into right away. You, you don't really even have to have, you know, been a welder in my case uh, prior to that to get into it. So. I went through their underwater welding program, but as soon as I was completed with that, I went back through and did their NDT program and immediately fell in love with it. I mean, I thought that was really awesome. It was, you know, very technical uh, to the sense that I really liked uh, because before I went to the College of Oceaneering, I was debating on going to school for engineering because I wanted to do something a little more technical. Uh, But Decided to do the underwater welding. So when I got into the NDT at the school I was kind of the best of both worlds. You know, I had still Mm -hmm. the physicality of it You know, I could still be out in the field and working and diving and yet there was that technical aspect of it And that inspection side of the house that I really really fell in love with
0: Yeah, and that's funny. I guess, uh, you know, I was also a trained welder and and uh, how the diving for some reason it's kind of the holy grail of you know, like oh you are going to make so much money if you go and and do some you know wielding uh diving and 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 i don't know it's it but for some reason ndt is not even in those conversations for one and uh and i think it's overrated i don't know that it's that uh that accurate How, what's what's your take on that
1: Yeah, what I discovered really quickly in the diving industry, and I really did love diving, um, but there was a couple of things. One, if they knew you were a welder and they knew that you could Mm -hmm. weld, especially if you could weld topside, not just underwater, Mm -hmm. then you tended to not be diving at all. And you ended up working in the yard because they try to fabricate everything topside as much as they can, you know, meeting out of the water. And then drop it down the water and they try to reserve things like, you know, just bolting up flanges and that underwater, you know, because it's very, yeah, yeah, it's very difficult to do anything underwater. It takes 10 times as long and it's just very awkward and cumbersome. So if they know that you're a welder, then you end up being stuck topside, not even diving. So (laughs) when I was, (laughs) yeah, when I was in the diving industry and I, I realized that. Uh, me and a buddy of mine decided to switch companies and not tell them that I knew how to weld because I wanted to dive. <laughs> <I see. laughs> uh, plus, this other company that we went to—a um, a little known fact in the dive industry—is when you first get into it, you're what's known as a tender, meaning okay. you're the individual that you know brings up the diver or, or lowers the diver down via his umbilical, and. Okay you operate the decompression chamber and that, so you're, you're kind of a grunt, you know, you're not I really see. diving because you're the new guy. Uh-huh, okay. So depending on the, the company you're working for, it can take months or even years to what's called being, to breaking out, to getting into the water and diving. Oh, wow. Yeah, so this company that we went to, uh, Stolt Comex, which is a really good company, uh, they had a couple of very big contracts and they were willing to let uh, tenders break out into diving relatively quickly as long as you knew your stuff and you were, you know, a go-to guy and all that. So gotcha. me and my buddy were super motivated. So we went to go work for Stolt Comex and we both broke out and started diving within about a week or two. So it was pretty quick. Uh, but then we found the other kind of the secret to diving is you get paid... A higher wage, the deeper you go, so as oh okay, yeah, so the the bigger money is for the deeper water dives, Makes and sense. we didn't know that, and as a new diver, because it's kind of pay based on your depth, well, the new divers don't get the deep dives, the senior <laughs> sure. divers do, obviously because they've been right. in the industry for longer, so really quickly, we realized, well, we're only doing shallow water dives, and we're not making a whole lot of money and the kind of the rumor mill that you can make these hundreds of thousands of dollars in a few months worth of work mm-hmm. is true to a certain sense. If you're doing very sophisticated diving, saturation uh, diving, yeah, yes, yeah, where you're going super deep and you're living mm-hmm. in a, in a chamber, you know, uh, on the barge itself. And then they put you in a diving bell and they lower you down to the, the, uh, to depth to where you're working. So you're always under compression and oh, wow people don't get into that until they've been in the dive industry for a long long time so it was kind of eh, not super true about the, the super high dollar right. wages yeah
0: it's you'll definitely work for it for, for a while before getting there it's not it's not free money
1: <laughs> yeah and then we found out that um, if you end up getting injured at all diving like mm-hmm. if you get uh, the bends <clears throat> you know not like yeah. a not a serious bubble, but like something in your elbow, like a type one DCS, uh, that can exclude you from doing saturation diving in the future. Not from doing other oh. diving, but they won't let you go into saturation because they don't want to run the risk. So it's there's- like
0: for, for a long time or it's just a- you Forever. too, for or two, or forever, Yeah, Yeah, really? if, if you wow. get bent,
1: they won't let you get into saturation because it's a really dangerous situation Oof. when you're in saturation. So they don't want to run the risk of having a nitrogen bubble reform because once you get the bends once then you're more susceptible to it in the future so that was really discouraging because there's yeah you know it, commercial diving used to be the most dangerous job in the world but then osha came in and really regulated in that so it, it kind of fell off the chart but there are still a lot of career injuries in diving yeah. uh, so once we found that out you know we were both me and my buddy were were kind of of the same mind that you know, maybe it's a good thing that we went through that NDT program at school yeah. because, you know, this career doesn't seem to be panning out as, much, as well as we thought it would. So.
0: Right, right.
1: Yeah, I was so in the dive a, industry You have an option for,
0: at least. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, so I was in the dive industry for only about a year before I moved back to Minnesota, where I'm from originally, and started okay. with a testing lab uh, doing top sign NDT.
0: Okay, and so what what were those uh, methods that you you started or uh, that that you use and are certified in now?
1: Uh, so when I first started my NDT career, it was more on infrastructure projects, commercial okay. buildings, and things like that. So the primary methods was were uh, excuse me, uh, MT and UT, VT obviously, and a little bit mm. of of liquid penetrant, but not a whole lot. Okay. So VT, MT, and UT for the more, majority of it. Uh, And as I was working in the infrastructure side of the house, I got more into some of the more in-depth non-destructive testing, got into phased array, and I eventually, you know, got my level threes at this original company, um, mostly because we were on a very difficult project where we had several different contractors, several different testing labs, testing welds, and it was a very contentious project. And there wasn't a lot of faith in the NDT technicians, uh, especially mm-hmm. for the shear wave ultrasound, because everything we were doing was shear wave ultrasonics on complete joint penetration welds and things like that. Okay. And uh, there, it was a project that had some very serious fabrication issues that got discovered later on. So this was kind of an in-service type inspection to figure out what had happened during this fabrication. Mm-hmm. And the they had several different testing labs out there and we found a rejectable indication in a cjp weld and they didn't trust the ndt technicians the uh, the engineering yeah.
0: well, firm. Well. Why are we here then?
1: (laughs) Yeah, kind of exactly. Uh, Well, you know, there's there's some squirrely people out there. So (laughs) the first technician that found this indication wasn't very trusted by the engineering firm. So they hired another company to come in and retest that same area. And after that individual found an indication that then they hired our company to come in and do the same thing. Now, we didn't know Mm that this weld had already been tested multiple times There's by by different triple divisions.
0: triple auditing or yeah I mean. yeah <laughs> okay so you um, had no clue you thought you thought i'm here for the first and the first one looking at this
1: yep yep you know they did okay. a really good job cleaning off the coupling so there were no coupling stains on there so <laughs> <laughs> so after um i did the testing on it and i found the indication as well and there was this big meeting with the engineering firm where they they brought in all three of us and they were furious that hmm. all three of us even though we fa- all three found the indication and we all considered him it rejectable a class a indication they mm-hmm. were furious because our values were off and you know when they told from me one, that one I was, from the
0: other you know yes. nobody had the exact same uh, exactly. sizing okay. exactly
1: okay so when we were in the meeting and that we were very curious because we didn't know each other's results and then they showed us the results and we were looking at them and it's like well my gosh we're all Super duper close. You know, we're within thousands of an inch, which is incredibly (laughs) accurate for shear wave UT. You know, all the variables Mm -hmm. that go in your scope versus your deucer, everybody, Mm -hmm. the individual pressure as you're scanning, everybody is slightly different. And so I was actually very impressed and amazed that all three of us had such similar results
0: definitely a good sign yeah yeah
1: but uh, from the engineering side of the house from the engineering company that didn't know anything about NDT you know they expected identical results and even though we tried to explain to them that's never gonna happen right, uh, right. they wanted to have the level threes from the different companies come out and test it because they lost faith in us level twos and they said mm. you know what we want level threes to come in and test this so the funny part is my level three for the company was an in-house level three, was actually a geotechnical engineer, and mm. had done a little bit of NDT in the past, but was definitely not a a well-versed level three. All right. So my level three flew out to the job site, and immediately I had to meet him at the airport, and we immediately went to his hotel room, and I had to show him how to turn the scope on. We were using a, a, oh. <laughs> a USN 50 at the time. and You know, he didn't even know how to turn the machine on. I mean, the last U-T scope he had used was an old oscilloscope. Um, You know, it's like a USN 7 or something. Right. And I had to try and show him how to calibrate up and all this stuff. And he... To train him before he gets to the job. (laughs) Yeah. He definitely was not getting it. So he made the decision that uh, the next day during the big meeting, that instead of having the level threes do the testing, the level threes will survey us level twos you know kind of a round robin each level three will will observe one of the other companies level twos Mm -hmm. uh instead of the level threes doing the testing and you could see in the eyes of the other two level threes of the other two companies they were both on board too they you could mm-hmm. clearly tell that yeah we're not up we're to not speed in on the
0: field all the time yeah we're not yeah exactly at some
1: point. <laughs> if you don't use it you lose it so it exactly. makes sense yeah exactly so we went through the testing again and did that with the level three surveying us and everything turned out fine and and it was deemed up uh, you know that we were all accurate in that but during the conversation i went to my boss and i was like you know We really should have at least one level three in the company that is in the field and knows what he's doing when these technical questions come up. So that's where I got the blessing. Well, you're it now. Yeah, that's (laughs) That's where I got the blessing. (laughs) Go get your ASNT level threes. And I think that's a great idea. So that's what kind of led into achieving my level threes initially.
0: Interesting. That is a, that's a cool story. Um, There's, uh, there's so many incredible ndt stories out there you know like i don't know i feel like ever since i've done this podcast and ever since i've been in this industry uh i've heard all all kinds of stories like from you know i don't know welders trying to 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 bribe or from you know just or crazy traveling also uh stories because we we are um we, we have to travel often for this kind of work uh so do you have anything like that that comes to mind? I know that you've been in this industry for a while and that you've been on a lot of projects and with, with diving and so on. So anything similar that comes to mind, a story that uh, you would be open uh, open to, to share?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I did have a project, and this happened to be in Chicago as well, not the same project, but it was okay. a, a very large profile project that things were going sideways on. Okay. And there were a lot of rejections, and the, the general contractor was really under the gun to get the contract completed. And there were multiple NDT technicians from our company that were out there. And it was really funny because, you know, if you've ever worked in the city of Chicago, you know, there's there's some odd things that go on in Chicago. Uh, and we started finding envelopes of cash under our windshield wipers.
0: Oh. <laughs> Every no. time we would
1: go out and we would reject something, we would come back to the trailers and sure enough, there'd be an envelope of cash under your windshield oh, wipers. No. So,
0: and you don't even know, you know, I mean,
1: <laughs> exactly. You don't want, you know, you don't want to what touch do you do it. You that? don't want to do anything. So the, the protocol became very quickly that if you find an envelope under your windshield wiper, you call the cops and you let the cops mm. come out and photograph it and take in all that because mm. do not even touch it. Don't look in it. Don't do anything. Yeah, uh, <laughs> because boy, that's a huge, huge, obviously ethics issue. Uh, but they wanted that project to, to go smoothly so badly that they oh, were willing no. to steep to those levels. So that was pretty crazy. Uh-oh.
0: Of course. Yeah. Oh, that's that stuff. And that's why one of the reason why, you know, one of the first um, quality, let's say, that an inspector should have is integrity, you know, because mm-hmm. your integrity will be challenged very often oh, in uh, scenarios like this one is like oh wow you know yeah what do you do you can't just leave it there it's on your car <laughs> yeah it's on your car
1: you know i got to get in and uh, what do yeah. we do Yeah, call the cops you know let them come out and take care of it you know we don't want to be involved with that so yeah that was very interesting um as far as travel goes yeah i've done mm-hmm. a lot of travel you know in my career uh the one that really sticks in my mind is i was the lead qc qa well qc i guess uh, for the U.S. consulate embassy construction in Guangzhou, China. And oh wow! Yeah, that was a super interesting job. Um, it was a year contract project, top secret security clearance. What the U.S. government does is typically your embassy compounds or your consulate compounds in is are built by the host country. Okay. But in every U.S. consulate compound, there is a one building that is super secured. And that's kind of the shelter in place building. That's where they keep any of their their embassy documents and that. And it's also the building if the embassy was to be overrun. That's where everybody goes in and shelters until they can be evacuated out. So it was a very cool project. Uh, Everybody thinks ooh, top secret security and that's super awesome. That's a real pain in the butt. That's big
0: it's more logistics and um, paperwork than anything else.
1: Oh, it slows down the whole project. I mean, this wasn't a very big building, very heavily robust building, made cruciform columns, a lot of complete joint penetration wells. I mean, everything was pretty much, it was essentially a a single solid metal building. Uh, It was really robust but there were so many difficulties with it i mean you had to to get into the embassy compound you had an iris scanner which never worked so you would have to stand there for five minutes trying to get it to read your eyes correctly before they would let you in Uh, (laughs) there were so many security issues as far as we couldn't bring the drawings out on the job site because we were concerned with with you know spies being able to see what we're going on so we had a special room that we called it the Cone of Silence that had a great big safe vault lock on there. And it was a very complicated code process to get into it. And then when you were in that room, you could look at the drawings, but you couldn't make any notes. And you couldn't talk to anybody else because it, it was visibly it been... secured, but it wasn't right. audibly secured
0: oh wow yeah so, so just point that stuff
1: yeah in so people. we had dry erase boards all over so when you're trying to figure something out with somebody and you can't talk to them you're trying to scribble down things and circle things on am drawing oh it was really really a pain in the butt and then I we never had
0: considered that. Oh, wow. That yeah. Yeah, it
1: adds so much complexity for sure. Oh, yeah. And then we had another room that we called the church, which was soundproof, but not visual proof. And we would have <laughs> conference calls in there. Both? <laughs> <laughs> you would think, but <laughs> Can
0: they merge those two
1: rooms. <laughs> uh, you would think, but apparently not. But this room was even crazier because there was so much soundproofing in the room that we would have our conference calls in there. But if you had a big conference table and you have all this soundproofing, there were no echoes in the room at all. So you could speak freely, but it was the strangest thing where if I was talking to somebody, as long as I was directly facing them, you know, they could hear me because my sound mm-hmm. wave pattern is, is reaching them, but there was no echo right. in the room. So somebody sitting right next to that individual could not hear a word I was saying. So oh, you would wow, have to-
0: that must be f- weird. That yeah. must be really odd
1: yeah you would have to physically face each individual and repeat what you were saying like five or six times so it just took forever
0: it's surprising you haven't been there for over a year you know oh four i or know five years <laughs> yeah it forever yeah it was so crazy you, you lived there for the the full year
1: yep i lived in guangzhou china for a full year and uh had a really good time uh, really interesting place got to see a lot of cool stuff out there and uh, yeah it was a really good job
0: I difficult bet. but wow. a good job yeah yeah oh yeah that's that's uh, the beauty again of uh, of NDT is that it can really take you places that uh... That you wouldn't, wouldn't expect necessarily, um, if you're willing to, you know, if you're that's always the thing. If you're willing to travel or to relocate, then it can definitely bring you to those places.
1: Oh, absolutely! That's a great thing about NDT is, you know, if you as long as you're near a major city, if you don't really mm-hmm. want to travel, I mean, there's a lot of NDT technicians that work in fabrication facilities, you know, local testing labs. Obviously, if you're in a major city, then there's there's enough construction going on that you can remain relatively local. But if you do want to travel, oh, absolutely. There's so many opportunities to travel. I mean, you can do pipeline work and you're constantly on the road, or you can get into uh, a lot of different type of uh, companies, organizations, and do overseas travel. Uh, When I was with the Army Corps of Engineers, uh, I did a lot of overseas travel because we had a lot of components fabricated um, outside of the US because there just weren't any facilities in the US that can make components, very large butterfly vials for for uh, hydraulic dam penstocks and that, we had to go to uh, Piacenza, Italy. I say had to. Wow. We got to go to Piacenza, <laughs>
0: yeah, Italy. That's more like it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly <laughs> for for three months while they fabricated wow. up these uh, these big butterfly valves, and yeah, had a great time.
0: That's amazing. And so after in your. In your career path, you also decided, I guess, after the, the, the diving and after the, the, the NDT more hands on, um, you went in and teach NDT, too, which to me is always a really good teller that you're you're passionate, you know, <laughs> if you're yeah. willing to take the time to teach it to other people and to share your knowledge. So you've um, h- how long have you um, been a, a NDT teacher for?
1: Oh, I'd say since I want to say around 2012. I got into okay. teaching. I, I never really intended to get into teaching. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I went to work for the US Army Corps of Engineers, which is a, a fantastic organization. And it's a great organization to work for. I had a great time there. And I was their um, their their quality assurance specialist lead for their technical center of expertise for welding, metallurgy, non-destructive testing. And one of the roles for the TCX was to teach internal US Army Corps of Engineers training courses. Uh, they're called prospect courses. Uh, one of them was what was called welding quality verification and the other was welding design. And these courses were, were outsourced for many years to a third party and they weren't very good. So we took them over and we redesigned them and recreated them and then at the same time, there was a big need for NDT instruction. Within mm-hmm. the core internally, not just for technicians, uh, but also for engineers, so that they understood what was happening, the pros and cons to methods, the limitations to methods, and that. Uh, so I started developing these courses, and the first couple courses that I taught got rave reviews back from them, from the students. That man, you're nice. you're a great instructor. So I kind of got into that niche. I didn't, you know, intend to be an instructor, but found out that I was very comfortable in front of a crowd, in front of an audience. Mm -hmm. And I really liked inquisitive people. I really liked when somebody didn't understand what I was talking about, that they asked questions that we went through, we Mm -hmm. made sure that they understood it. So that kind of rolled me into doing more and more instruction. Uh, So I did that for the Army Corps of Engineers. And then when I left the Army Corps to move back closer to home, you know, for my folks and that, Uh, I got a job teaching at a third party private school and really, really liked the creating of NDT courses and also the instruction. And I really kind of liked incorporating more of the, you know, (sighs) tricks of the trade kind of thing. You know, with a lot of your general level one and level two training, yeah, they have a lot of physics in there, a lot of calculations and math, which is important. You know, we have to follow CP-105 and make sure we cover everything. But there needs to be more emphasis on certain elements. You know, it's it's great that you can understand how to do Snell's Law for ultrasonics, Mm -hmm. but how... Often is that actually used down the field? There needs to be right, right. you know a little more focus on the practicality aspect of it, you know how to do finger dampening, you know if we're mm-hmm. getting mode conversion, how you can identify that you're getting mode conversion. So I really like the instruction and also the hands-on train and really kind of give technicians you know a lot of the aspect that you might see in the field and how you resolve some of these issues that you might come across.
0: Very nice. Yeah, exactly. And that's needed. You know, it's uh, that's what's different with this uh, again with, with NDT is that, yes, there's a lot of physics involved and a lot of, um, you know, knowing the basic or the, the basic principles behind all those methods is, is so important. But then it really comes down to how you're gonna use it in the field? The the again, as you said, the tricks, the tips, and how um, how to figure that out when when not everything might go as per theory, you yeah, know? Exactly. Um, so that exactly. that's that's great to be able to uh, to share that knowledge because, uh, and as we know too, it's uh, you know it's an industry that uh, it's hard to find to find people and to find good people, and so uh, the teaching part is. Uh, is so important, so valuable, but again, it's uh, it's not everybody that can do it uh, and can do it well. And level threes, as you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of that too. That they they know a lot of things, but not in the specifics. And so, who who's there to teach? Uh, ultimately, you know, it's, a, it's, it's sometimes it's an afterthought at the end of the career. Sometimes, but we need uh, we need experts. You know, we need. Uh, People that are passionate and uh, can can talk about what happened in the field and, and give those uh, those useful tips. So that that's definitely great uh, that you're yeah, able to do that.
1: Yeah, and it's so important to have good mentors out there, you know, because you can have a very technical level three that really knows, you know, the science behind the, the, the method that they're a level three in and that. Uh, but you also have to have somebody that can work with another individual. you know I've ran across a lot of very, very technically proficient people that can't get their point across because they're just right. they don't have that interpersonal relationship. And so that's where it really gets important with mentors uh, to show those technicians the ropes when they're out in the field. You go through your fundamental you know classes, your training and then you have to gain your experience and if you don't have a good mentor out there showing you the ropes once you're acquiring your hours of experience you know that's really gonna slow you down in your career progression before you can become a really good technician so it's it's finding that that blend of technical knowledge and interpersonal relationship ability to really be a good mentor and i think um, i wish the industry Got deeper into mentorship. I know ASNT mm-hmm. has has yeah. really tried to push a mentorship program, and I'm a mentor yeah. on ASNT's uh, mentor program. Uh, yeah. But I really wish you know technicians out in the field would 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 go after that program and really reach out. Because uh, I know when like, I was a technician, uh, I luckily had a very good mentor, uh, and that yeah, really so helped who, me out who, tremendously. Who
0: were your your mentors, if you don't mind sharing with us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that's a, that's another funny story. So when I did get into topside NDT and like I mentioned, it'd been a year since I really did any NDT because I was in the diving industry and mm-hmm. I went to go work for the my first testing lab that I worked for and <laughs> not knowing at the time, being ignorant to how the industry really worked. It, I, when I first started with the company, they our level three at the company gave me a General and a specific exam, which was really ridiculously simple, uh, you know, it was kind of kindergartenish. You know, hey, ultrasound uses a sound waves, b magnetic fields, that kind of stuff. It's <laughs> no like kidding. really, I think I can figure this out. So, <laughs> so I obviously passed their their written exams, uh, but they didn't give me a practical exam. And oh, the mm-hmm. other thing too was it was hilarious. Was the level three at the company? even though he he had my resume, and, and he knew I'd gone through the College of Oceanography, or at least he should have, didn't really even bother with that. So the first thing they did oh. is he gave me two VHS tapes, one with ultrasonic testing and one with magnetic particle testing. And they were both like 45 minutes long and watch both of these and they were old, like 1960s grainy video and he's like okay that's your ndt training and i'm like well i'm glad i actually went through legit training before this because i would <laughs> oh, be man. really lost and those <laughs> are 90 minutes you'll never get that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, no. so i watched the videos and i did the exams and then he didn't give me a practical exam and you know i knew that you were supposed to have a practical exam and i was yeah. like are you gonna give me a practical exam and he's like no no you'll be fine so he gave me a scope and sent me out to go, go mess stuff up. And I was like, well, I'm really rusty. I mean, I haven't done this for a year. And the, I was just in school that I don't have the experience hours, but he anointed me as a level two. And I was like, well, okay. And he was kind of of huh. the opinion, this is how the industry works. And I'm like, oh geez, I didn't know that. But luckily the very first project that I went on was at a, uh, uh, a new hospital in Wisconsin and. There was another NDT tech that was out of the Milwaukee office that was working on the project out there, and he really needed some help. So that was the reason why they they sent me out there immediately. Uh, But that individual's name was Carter Bowen. And Carter Bowen is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful NDT technician and person. He is great. I mean, this guy knows NDT and welding inspection forward and backwards. He's been doing his entire career. Uh, And he really took me under his wing. And what happened, I, I show up at the job site, and I'm supposed to be a certified level two, and Carter doesn't know me, and he doesn't know any of my history. He doesn't know I, I've never been really doing any NDT. Right. Uh, but luckily, because he's, he's very good, and he knows what he's doing, his first thing, because he didn't trust me because he doesn't know me, so the very right. first thing he did, yeah, he, did, yeah, he <laughs> was he, like, he
0: probably knows what kind of uh, test they put you through to get yeah, that job. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so the first thing, you know, he did was, you know, okay, get your scope, get your deucers, Here's an IIW block. I'm going to watch you cal up. And I, mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. I, I was just stumbling through it and I couldn't remember how to do it. And so he was like, right. oh, geez, you know, you're supposed to be a level two. And I, I told him the story and he's like, ah, and he rolled his eyes. <laughs> and you know he's like okay so he helped me calibrate up and then we went over and started scanning a well then he realized really quickly he's like you have no idea what you're doing and i'm like i agree i'm you're right <laughs> yes, I have, we're on the
0: same page <laughs> yeah
1: i have no idea what i'm doing help me <laughs> you know? yeah and so he really took me under his wing uh, you know they ended up hiring another guy that uh, was a level two for, for several years to go help carter out on the job but instead of just basically sending me back to Minneapolis where I was based out of saying, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. No, Carter took me under his wing and, you know, really showed me what to do. He would, you know, let me scan every weld and then he would scan it afterwards, you know, and point out, you know, what I missed, you know, if I didn't miss anything or whatever. Uh, but he really worked hand in hand with me, uh, for quite a while doing that project and really, really helped me out. If it wasn't for Carter taking me under his wing, i probably would have left the ndt industry because i just kind of got thrown to the wolves and i was just like this is this cannot be how it's supposed to work um now that's not typical i think of most people in the industry you know it's uh you know i have run across a lot of ndt techs that just are amazed that that company did that but you know for these small ndt companies ah sometimes that happens but no luckily carter really helped me out and um got my passion for ndt back
0: wow oh that's that's a cool story i like that because yeah it's it's so important and it can be overwhelming and it can be intimida- intimidating and um yeah just uh, having somebody who's there and willing to to share the knowledge again i mean i feel like most ndt people are that way and they're they're passionate and they, they they want to share what they know uh, and they know it's important also that they do so, but you know, <laughs> yeah yeah just more patient people than others do and some people are just more, um, more committed uh, to make sure that uh, the person next to them g- g- truly get it you know mm-hmm. not just a. Uh, not just, okay, you're a level two, there you go, here's a stamp, and yep. <laughs> good to go.
1: Well, yeah, um, and, and that's so important in the industry, you know, and I've ran across, and you're right, the majority of people are willing to share their knowledge, but you do mm-hmm. run across the individuals that they want to keep all that knowledge themselves, you know, I don't know if they're they're fearful of their position being lost or right. what, but I've yeah. run across a lot of those individuals, too, and boy, I tell you, if you, if you run across somebody that is willing to share their knowledge with you, boy, latch on to that person, because that's, right. that's great. And, you know, and be that person going up. I mean, I love explaining to people, uh, you know, especially welders, you know, because I was always in that position where I didn't really mm-hmm. understand why things were acceptable versus rejectable, you know, so I, yeah. I always take the time to explain, you know, to the welders if I reject one of their wells, you know, exactly why it's rejected, not just because the code says so but right. you know what we're actually seeing in there and why that's considered rejectable and they they really mm-hmm. appreciate that you know because a lot of times they just feel like you're picking on them and yeah. you're not and it also helps that I was a welder too so I I speak their language so I can yes. you know really help them out but it's the same with NDT text, Not just telling them they're wrong, but explaining, you know, why they're wrong and helping them out, you know, to understand why they're wrong and how to correct yeah. that, and why it's so, so important that they do it the correct way.
0: Yeah, and so they're not wrong the next time around. And yeah. uh, same for the welder. So the weld gets keeps improving, and hopefully, there's less stuff to uh, less indications to be found. Exactly. So that's 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 a very good point. Um, is there is there a, so I've asked Brent uh, when he was on the show to uh, you know, that's how he, he nominated you to be on here? Is there anybody that you would like to nominate uh, to be on the show?
1: I think Carter Bowen would be a wonderful individual to um to talk to uh, to have a podcast with. He works for uh, Thicket and associates out in Wisconsin. Okay. Um they're very heavy in the bridge industry, and they do a lot of MDT okay. for for bridges out in uh, wisconsin and and various other states. Uh, but yeah, he would be a wonderful individual to talk to.
0: That would be great. We don't have a lot of people that have done, you know, a bit more on the transportation and bridges and so on uh, that have shared their expertise there. So um, I'll have to reach out to Carter. Thank you for that. Hopefully yeah. he'll hear you also. And uh, now, now he's uh, he's on the list. It's, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's because of you so
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I might get an email back from him going you nominate me for what (laughs) no I'm sure he'd be more than happy to talk with you he's a great guy great guy
0: that's great that's great to hear well John I'm not gonna I know you're a busy guy too and I want I don't want to take too much of your time today but uh, this was amazing it was great to hear you know just your career path all the things that you've been able to do what NDT has brought into uh into your life, into your travels, into, um, uh, into the people that you've met. A really good conversation. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, keep the conversation going forward. And uh, we'll have you on the show uh, in a few years, maybe from now, to hear about some other amazing stories that you're going to have uh, as you continue your career.
1: Absolutely. Anytime. That'd be great.
0: Thank you, John. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with John. On a very selfish level, this is also why I love recording these. I get to learn so much about the people who are deeply involved in this industry. It highlights the good and the bad so we can together figure out ways to continuously improve. And John's stories show that even though we all deeply love this industry, that allows us to travel and be able to see and experience incredible things. There's also a place for questioning and continuously seeking out better ways to do the right thing. So I hope that you two out there continue to push the envelope. And uh, yes, that means sometimes the literal envelope, as John mentioned. (laughs) Again, thank you for all you're doing out there and for keeping the world a safer place. Bye for now.